Well, this is the last in our message series called Next Steps, How to Discover God's Plan for You. And really, the whole point of this is to try to help all of you to identify a spiritual growth path. Right, that, that no matter where you are, I mean, some of you, again, some of you here today, you may not even be sure about Jesus. Some people have been walking with Jesus for a long time. But no matter where you are, you can always take a next step of faith. And you might come up with next steps that we clearly don't identify. And, and that's great. That's great. Take them. When you feel God asking you to take a step, take that step. But the idea is to help you kind of get some ideas on how you can grow. Because a lot of us get stuck in our faith. Our natural tendency is to stay stuck over time. I mean, that's physics. A body at rest will tend to stay at rest unless acted upon by an outside force. Just ask all of our gym owners in the area. (laughs) But the whole point is that we're using this idea from Jeremiah 18 that God the potter is shaping us. That this is our spiritual transformation. That God's getting his hands dirty. And it's messy. And the difference between this clay is, is that the clay that God's trying to shape can resist. We can decide, no, 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 I'm, I, I don't want any of this. And so really what this series is about is about how do we make ourselves more malleable? How do we allow ourselves to be shaped by God? He's shaping us into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. And the more that happens, the more we become our true selves the more we become those people that we have been designed and destined to be. This is spiritual formation. This is the journey of every believer of Jesus Christ. Now today we're talking about the fourth, the fourth step. The fourth next step. And that is to give generously. And this is the part where all the cynics and the skeptics in the room say, Aha! He finally did it. He's going to ask us for money. (laughs) Don't think I don't know what you're thinking. And how it does seem like it could be self-serving for the pastor of the church. He doesn't be like, you know what? Because of your faith, you need to give more to the church. Believe me, I get that profoundly. Which is why I don't preach about it a lot. Because I'm very nervous that you're going to think that I'm saying that. But this is a step. This is a big step of faith for a lot of us. It, and it, it has to do with who are we going to let control what we have or what we wish we had. And you know what's fascinating is that Jesus, he talked about money a lot. In fact, it's the single, number one, most biggest subject that he talked about. He talked about money more than he talked about love. In fact, the only time that we see Jesus angry, you remember this story? He goes into the temple, and what does he do is he overturns the money changers who are ripping people off on their way in to worship. I mean, it's wild. He talks about money so much because he knows how big of a place it has in our hearts. I don't care how spiritual you are, you're thinking about money. Like, maybe Mother Teresa didn't think about money, but, like, unless you're Mother Teresa, I think we're probably thinking about money a lot, one way or another, either that we want more or we don't have enough. And all those skeptics, man, I get it because I've heard the stories too about my boy Creflo Dollar. If you ever heard of my boy Creflo Dollar. So he, he's a pastor, and listen, I'm sure he loves the Lord. I'm not like, 
But he asked his church to give generously for a new Gulfstream jet for his ministry. Not an exaggeration, nor a joke. Asked his congregation for a Gulfstream jet. A new one. He already had a Gulfstream jet. He wanted a new one. And I think they like, I think they got enough money. I don't remember how the story turned out, but yikes. Now listen, like, I really hope God's using him, but yikes. I mean, this is why people, they, they like, they're allergic to the end, you know, we're going to give to our capital campaign and we're going to give to our mission. We're going to give and you're like, oh my gosh, can't I just go a Sunday without hearing about how you need my money? What does God need money for anyway? Right? I mean, listen, these are all the questions that you probably have asked or have thought about, or certainly your friends who aren't here have thought about. Because it does seem kind of weird that a lot of churches say money is evil, so you better give it to us. <laughs> well, we know exactly what to do with it. We'll take it off, off your hands. And a lot of it's because we have baggage about church or, or maybe like we don't like what a church is doing with money or we think like they're not spending it the way that we would, we would do it. Or, I mean, there's all sorts of issues that come up. Or you may have come from a church that was really heavy-handed with money and you're like, I got to get out of here and I got to come to a place where they're not like that. And here we go. Here we go. We all have baggage around the issue of money. But Jesus teaches about this more than anything else. And so I think what that means is we should pay attention. If Jesus talks about money more than anything else that he talks about, we should probably ask a question. So what, what's the relationship between my faith and my money? I mean, let's, let's bracket the whole giving to church thing, and let's just set that aside for a minute. We're going to come back to that. Let's talk about what, what is the relationship between my faith and my money? Because it, it seems to keep coming up. There's one point where Jesus, who taught through a lot of parables, you know, these stories that he would make up to prove a point, and he taught through this one parable, the parable of the sower, like one who was sowing or planting seeds, and he says the seed is like faith, and, uh, and some of the, sometimes the seed is thrown in the rocks, you know, it doesn't grow, and sometimes the, the weeds choke it out and all this other stuff, and sometimes it's in good soil. Like the clay in the potter, we're meant to be the soil, and we have a say of what kind of soil we are. Uh, and anyway, in this one part in Mark 4.9, he says, But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. I mean, he calls it out. He says, this is a faith killer. The worries of this, notice how that's all lumped together, worry and money. Hmm. Worries of this life, deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things. Maybe, it's, it's not that God wants something from us, but maybe God has something for us when it comes to our relationship with money. Maybe we're enslaved to something that he doesn't want us to be enslaved to. Maybe he wants us to experience the kind of freedom that he wants us to experience. So let's look at this uh, other story from Luke 12. So uh, somebody, somebody had an issue and they went to Jesus because they thought Jesus was fixer of all problems. 
And I think many of us have that view of Jesus. If I just come to you, he's going to fix, fix me, fix all my stuff. I come to church so that you can fix me. Get everything all sorted out. This is from Luke 12, verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Teacher, (laughs) I'm not getting what I rightfully deserve. Fix my brother. I know a lot of people who like, I mean, they come to church to fix people, right? You're coming with me because you need Jesus. Jesus replied, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. I mean, he saw this guy was, it was about greed for him. All kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. So he says it, and then he demonstrates it with this story. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Some of you knew scripture. You didn't even know you knew scripture. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night of your your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. Let's stop there for a moment and just consider what Jesus has laid down. This has been known as the parable of the rich fool. When I first read this years ago, I thought to myself, why is this guy a fool? Like, what did he do wrong? I don't know, he had surplus grain. He wanted to build bigger barns so they didn't go to waste. I think that's a fair question. But then you read it again, and maybe consider a little bit, too, of the context of Jesus' time. And back in Jesus' time, uh, it was all about community. I mean, the community was everything. So the way that you lived your life was very communal. And uh, even, even they had systems in place to help people who were the least in society. One of those systems was, you know, if you had a lot of extra grain, then you would allow the people who didn't have anything to come in after the harvest was done and get what was left as a way of taking care of the people who couldn't take care of themselves. Or even, you know, if you had an abundance like that, just a thanks to God because they were, you know, a subsistence agrarian society. You gave thanks when it rained. You gave thanks when the crop had an right? In none of those instances that they would have heard this story and be like, that's weird he didn't do that. If you read the story, it's all about him. My abundance, my crops. I can't wait to put my feet up and not do anything. It's not about who am I going to help or even thank you to God. It's about me. I think this is so important because uh, you've heard the word stewardship. It's a word that's used to talk about how we're supposed to handle uh, money faithfully. One of the principles of stewardship that we think is, a lot of people think stewardship equals you never spend anything. That that's good stewardship. Clearly, that's not the case. It's not just that you're not spending stuff. That's not necessarily good stewardship. Sometimes good stewardship looks like spending. 
Sometimes it looks like giving out to people who are in need. Really what he called out, he, he, said, he said, this guy was greedy just like you are, buddy, who's asking me about the inheritance. It's the same problem going on. Just like an inheritance battle, you want to get what's rightfully yours, and the result is, it's all for nothing. It all just vanishes. It's all gone when you don't expect it. I think the guy thought being rich meant... Having an abundance so that I don't have to worry. If I just have enough, then I won't worry. That that somehow is what being rich means. And maybe that's your, maybe you have a version of that. I, I get it. Like, if I just have enough, then that's when I'll be rich. Like, if I could go to Whole Foods, we call Whole Paycheck in our house. <laughs> if I go to Whole Foods and I could fill the cart, I'll go in the supplement aisle. I'll take some of that and some of that, and never think about how much I'm spending. Then that's when I'll have enough. That means I'm rich. <laughs> Supplements, look out. <laughs> that somehow that means I'm gonna, that's when I'm rich. I, just, I have enough, I don't worry about it. Whatever, like that's gonna make you not worry about money? Like this guy, he had everything, he had an abundance. And what did he do? He worried. I don't know what to do with all of my abundance. Better build bigger barns. I don't think that's Jesus' definition of being rich. Because that's not trusting in God. There's no trust of God anywhere in that. It's a greed. It's a kind of greed that will damage your heart. Maybe this is a more faithful definition of greed. Greed is the assumption that it's all for my consumption. Here's the thing. Greed takes a couple of forms. It's not just people have a lot of money. Because I want to tell you, I don't think having a lot of money is, is like a sin or like you're going to hell or something. Like it's something that God, God uses a lot with, with what people have. I mean, clearly. But I think, I think the temptations multiply the more you have. Absolutely. The temptation to neglect God in what you have, I think, is the danger. And this is the danger that Jesus talked a lot about. But I think it's not just people who have a lot of money. I think it's people who don't have a lot of money are greedy. Because either way, money becomes your focus. If I just get more, then I'll be happy. We live in this total upgrade society, don't we? And that's killing us. Like, how many phones have I bought that I really needed? Really? No, 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 you got to upgrade. What does this upgrade mentality do? It makes me not appreciate what I have. You're not happy? Just upgrade. Which, in the end, destroys us. It doesn't work. We're happy till the next upgrade. So greed has a tendency to lead us two different ways, and I think both will damage us. The first is, it can lead us just into unbridled desire, just consuming. And then the other way is it can lead us to hoarding. Either way, you're not trusting God. Either way, even if you say you have faith, you're living like you have no faith. You're living like like a practical atheist. 
Like God is not going to provide for me. Both will leave you living as if there is no God. Until, of course, there's trouble. (laughs) Until there's trouble. When we get in trouble, we have a tendency to be all ears. Okay, Lord. Uh, If you just get me out of this one. Get me out of this one and I will sit at your feet and I will worship you. We start making a lot of promises, right, when we get in trouble. I don't think like this crisis situation is how God wants us to come to him about our money. I think what this is showing is, is what Jesus said. He said, you can't serve two masters. You can't serve God and money. It's impossible. You're either trusting in God or you're not. And so the relationship between your faith and your money has something to do with what are you trusting? Who are you trusting more? And this is, honestly, this is the next big step for a lot of people. For a lot of people. I want to say to you, I think it's true for everyone. I've observed that this is really hard for men. It's a sense of giving up control over what we have or what we make. I think because a lot of that's how we um, get our identity. And so it's very much wrapped up in all that. And and it's really hard to think, okay, no, this this belongs to God. And I think we get stuck. I think we have a hard time with that. So Jesus continues. He continues uh, with the story, verse 22. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn. Yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Man, worry. Worry is a life killer. I think this is what God wants for us. Is that if we trust in him more than we trust in our money. Or if we think about God and his provision more. We don't have to live in this constant state of worry. We have freedom. Imagine if you were living not worrying about money. But trusting in God. What would that do just for your daily life? It would probably transform it. You know how much happier you would be if you could somehow get yourself to think about trusting in God more. God wants something for us. It goes on, uh, verse 30. He said, For the pagan world runs after all such things, and your Father knows you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. That's wild, right? God knows you want all these things. The pagan world's chasing after them. Don't do what they're doing. Seek God first, and you're going to get... It's not like you're never going to get the big screen TV that you always wanted. You're never going to get the, the better house or the better car. Or you're, you're just going to have to live like, like a monk in the middle of the desert wearing nothing but the same robe. Every day, and somehow that's going to be your Christian. I don't know, maybe some of you. I'm not going to rule out God's calling on anyone's life, but that's probably not you. It doesn't mean that it, that, it doesn't mean that. 
necessarily. Because God's saying, well, you know, I know what you need. I know what your desires are. But seek first my kingdom. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Talk about an inheritance that none of us deserve, and we're going to get it. The kingdom of Almighty God. We are sons and daughters of the king. We are heirs to an inheritance that none of us should get. But he has given us anyway out of his grace. What is life like in this kingdom? He says, sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourself that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fail. Where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I love that verse. And I hate that verse. It doesn't say where your heart will be there. Your treasure is. No. Where your treasure is. There your heart will be also. What is it that you treasure? And I think this is what God wants for us. God wants us to treasure, to have our treasure in the kingdom things of God. And to trust in our heart of hearts that God will provide. Every step of the way, God will provide even more than what we need. Here's what I think. I think money can grow us closer to God. Again, I don't think it's... Money's not evil in and of itself. Otherwise, why would the church need it? I mean, that, doesn't, that makes no theological sense. But it comes with trappings. And God just doesn't want that for us. He knows... The problem is we need money to survive and to have a life. And so we know how much we worry about it. Yes, me too. I get it. But he wants us to trust in him more. He wants something for us. So, how do we do that? How do we start to give generously? How do we live into that next step? If that's the next step for you, how do we give generously? I think it starts, I think the first part is just to Ask yourself the question honestly, where is my treasure? Where, you know, where is your treasure? What is it that you really care the most about? I mean, you spend money about what you care most. That's just true. It shows, it shows your priorities. I think God would say, make sure your priorities show something. Seek first his kingdom. That's, that's why we give to local churches. That's the answer. Because you're funding kingdom things first. Hopefully, whatever church you're a part of, is their whole mission is to do kingdom things. We want to grow the kingdom of God because we want to bring people into relationship with him. And that takes funding. We pay salaries. We turn on lights. We have ministries. It's kingdom work. That's why you're supposed to give the church. Because church is the place, hopefully, where the kingdom ministry is happening. Now, some of you, you're in a position, you're, you're like, hey, I, I can't get much. Or, like, if you're in a whole bunch of debt, I don't think the Lord wants, wants you to make that debt worse 
to give to the church. I think he wants to get out of debt. That's why we have classes like Financial Peace University. So we want to help people get free from all that. I think it's almost irresponsible to sort of to ask, ask you to give to a congregation without helping you uh, get healthier in your finances, right? That's why we give to the local church, to fund the kingdom work of God. This was true for the Apostle Paul. So if you look in the book of Acts, everywhere he went, how is his ministry funded? Each church he went to would collect an offering and give it to him and fund his mission. This is how it's been set up from the beginning. The people of God fund the work of God. And it's not just the local church either. So my wife and I have always supported since the uh, late 90s. We support a compassion child. And it's a monthly payment, Compassion International. And we help. We see that as part of our giving to God, our kingdom first things. And I always make sure, uh, even though, you know, even though I might wish that I'm giving more, I always make sure that I write out my giving checks first but I'm doing the bills because it reminds me that I'm giving that money first. Seek first his kingdom. I just want to give you like what this does when we start doing that. I want to just show like last year, I'll just do this real quick. Last year, the money that goes in the offering plates, I know some of you, some of you give online and all that, but all of that money that goes to the operating fund, these are some things that happened just last year. Kingdom things. The gospel was preached at 132 worship services for about 450 to 500 people a week because of what goes in the offering plate. And this isn't, now, about missions. This isn't special mission giving. This is just offering plate money. $94,000 went out to local missions just last year. $94,000 helped to feed hungry people and provide clothing and care. Just our mission to the DR alone, we, we helped over 200 children. Just plate money. 18 missionaries around the world were sponsored last year in places like Iraq. We made over 15,000 cups of coffee. <laughs> and doesn't our custodian Ed know it? We do that to create a place of welcome and invitation. There are 163 kids who come just to our Thursday night programs. All because you seek first the kingdom of God and you give to the local church. That's why you do it. It's not because daddy needs a Gulf Stream. It's because you're funding the kingdom work of God. <laughs> that just came out. <laughs> and that's not even counting faith forward projects. Or any of that. So then the next thing, okay, well how should I give? How do I do it? Pastor, tell me. What do I give? How much? Is it a percentage? What do I do? Well, I think of it in like the three P's. Make it a priority. First. I think say, just being intentional about it, I'm going to give to the mission of God. And then percentage. I, I think percentage helps because it helps us uh, be intentional. Again, be intentional. Be reminded of what goes first to the came out. And then, and then I know you're going to be like, is it 10%? Is it 10% gross or net? <laughs> like, how does that work? What's our obligation? 
I'd say, <laughs> I know you've asked that question. Listen, it, it's about your heart. It's about what you can do. I, I don't think it has to be 10%. 10% is a number that comes from the Old Testament. It came from, you know, when they, when they give one-tenth, and a lot of that went to the temple treasury. We're in a different world than the Old Testament. We, uh, we have a different covenant. Uh, I think a percentage is just a tool that maybe can help you. Uh, so pick a percent. Even if you start with like half a percent. And then the idea is that that's the next P, progressive. That you try to be progressive in your giving, in your generosity. And this will cultivate a spirit of generosity in you. And I think help you grow in your faith. This is how we be rich toward God. And then lastly, what's mine is yours. We have to be very open-handed about our possessions. Now listen, if you come up to me and you want to borrow my guitar... I'll let you. (laughs) Maybe we sign a little agreement. (laughs) I will let you. (laughs) I think, you know, I mean, it's it's easier for, but the things we really care about, but this is is what the people of God do. We share what we have. We need to be open-handed with that because we recognize it's a gift from God. All of it's from God. And it's meant to be used for him. Now listen, I do believe God wants something for us to trust in him more than we trust in our money to live into our kingdom inheritance instead of an earthly inheritance. And so what is your next step? I want to invite you uh, in the next few weeks, we'll be talking about next steps really um, all the time. I mean, not, not from, from the sermon, but next steps is something we want to just become part of the life of the church, that we're always helping people find their next steps of faith. You can go online and, and all of our next steps are up there and you can follow those in case you missed any sermons. Also, at our Welcome Center out here, we have some resources specifically for next steps in giving. Uh, We have a few copies of a book called Fields of Gold, which is fabulous about stewardship and giving. And uh, while supplies last, you're welcome to take some of those. But the idea is we want to help you find and identify your next step to be molded and shaped more into the likeness of Christ and fulfill that design to which the potter has in mind. Amen.